Hey everyone, I believe that gratitude has been such an instrumental part of making my own recovery and life better that I want to create something called the Gratitude Zone. And what this is, is I would love for you, the listener, to send me a two to three minute audio clip letting me know who you are, what it is you do, what you're grateful for, and why. And then we're going to be posting it on future episodes of The Road Beyond Recovery. Feel free to send that to Tamar at theroadforward.ca and there will be more information in the show notes. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, thanks for joining me. Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. And this morning, let's kick it off with a bit of gratitude like we always do. And let me see, you know what? I think I'm grateful for the fact that my friend Chris McPeak taught me and she had learned this from someone else, what an appreciation rant was. And I've talked about these before, and I really encourage you if sometimes you find yourself early on in the day getting a little bit resentful or, you know, maybe your mood shifts, try this with a friend. You know, we leave each other a, and I do this with a couple other friends as well now as well, but um, leave yourselves a three-minute voice memo. And we share everything that we're grateful for. And you're almost storytelling, right? So the cool thing about this is that I'm leaving her a three-minute memo of what I'm grateful for. And she's doing the same thing. And oftentimes when the going gets tough, there are things that we become grateful for that we know we're going to overcome, right? So in the moment, we might be going through something, but because we get to talk it out and we get to try and pick what we're grateful for about that situation... And often it is the learning opportunities that result from that. We can start to really make some some change in our lives. So there are so many amazing reasons why you should try this. But I am grateful to my friend Chris McPeak for sharing that with me. And now I get to actually do it with three people all together. So it totally shifts my mornings. That's what I'm grateful for for today. And I want to hear what you're grateful for. You know, if you want to be on an upcoming episode of the Gratitude Zone, let me know. Send me a two to three minute voice memo of what you're grateful for and why. And, you know, if you're a podcaster, share your podcast name. Share how we can get a hold of you or how we can follow you on social media. And I look forward to adding you to a future episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Well, you are in for a treat today. I am joined by my friend Mike Gavoni from Healing Beyond Recovery and Mike has an incredible story to share with you guys. I mean, 
you know, I have heard all sorts of stories on, you know, how people fell into addiction and what inspired them to do what they do today. And Mike really focuses on healing trauma, you know, and creating that life beyond recovery, right? We use early recovery to build that foundation, but there's so much more to it. And so now he is able to make incredible changes with the people that he works with. And so I can't wait for you to hear his story today on the show. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. Today, I am very fortunate to be hanging out with my friend, Mike Gavoni. How are you doing? I'm doing well today, Tamara. Thank you for having me on the show. It's really a pleasure to be here. I am really excited to dig into what you do and, of course, a bit about your story. So why don't you briefly introduce yourself and let us know what it is that you do today? Yeah, so I am passionate about supporting people who are in recovery from substance abuse to experience deeper healing and transformation. Um, I work as an integrative practitioner, meaning I address the whole person. I think uh, many of us who are in recovery have been focusing maybe on one spoke of the wheel, so to speak, when it comes to recovery and just the abstinence of putting down uh, the drugs or alcohol and not really committed and focused on the other aspects of, of our lives and who we are, like such as spirituality, work-life purpose, um, environment, uh, gut health, uh, nutrition, all of these sort of things have to be taken into account here when we really want to, what I call, experience the healing beyond recovery. It's amazing. And you and I had a, a chance to chat beforehand and kind of, I got to hear what you do. And I think it's awesome that you focus on that area. Now, you know, focusing on trauma, when I grew up, now I can recognize little bits of trauma that I never even really recognized as being traumatic events that really shifted how I believe today and why I act the way I do. But I know that a lot of people fall into addiction because they have dealt with more traumatic experiences, right? And obviously, a lot of us cope by using substances. So what was life for you like growing up and, and what led you to your addiction? Yeah, so I think for me, I think we, you know, we all have a story and some of us have a unique story. Some of us have had uh, more pain than others, so to speak. But whatever your story is, whatever your pain is, it, it's enough. And uh, I say that because uh, I see a lot of clients and some clients come to me and say, oh, well, I didn't have this trauma, that trauma. And, and really what they went through was enough. So whatever you experienced um, is and, and was enough. Um, I was kind of gifted, I, I would say, um, all these different traumas, so to speak, uh, which have been part of my purpose, part of my, my, my life path. And I think it's, for me, it started in my mother's womb um, when my mom discovered my dad's secret. My dad was um, uh, a, a minister and he had a big congregation. And let's just say he had some skeletons in the closet and my mom discovered, out, you know, discovered what they were. And she basically had to flee with, with my sister and I and I was in, in her uterus at the time, and, and she was, um, you know, under stress and under trauma. And I believe I was swimming in a sea of cortisol, which primed my nervous system, primed my immune system 
to develop addiction, to develop early onset disease. And that was that was part of my my life's journey. So I think it, for me, it started off in the womb with my first trauma. And then from there, um, it didn't get any better uh, until some time, really until my 10th year or ninth year into recovery, when finally uh, my body gave out. And as we know, from the latest uh, neuroscience and, and work from um, medical professionals like Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score. Uh, the body is holding the burden of trauma, the, the mind-body. And even if we're in long-term recovery, we can still be suffering from unprocessed, unhealed trauma. And many people don't know that that's what they're actually suffering from. And for, for me, you know, that trauma, and when I talk about trauma, it's, it's really not what happened to you as maybe Gabo Mate says, it's what happens within you as a result of what happened to you. So what happens with trauma is events happen uh, and, and our nervous systems uh, can't process them. So that energy gets stuck in the nervous system and we can develop symptoms of, of physiological problems. For me, it was irritable bowel disease. Other people may develop uh, mental health issues, anxiety, depression, we can be shut down. Uh, we can have too much energy in the system and be retuned to uh, constantly be worrying, constantly be scanning environment for threats. And this is this is unaware to us, but it becomes our template. The, the nervous system becomes retuned with trauma, and it, it sets us up for a dysregulated nervous system. And the substances are really just uh, the medicine that they're to help us cope, whether you like uppers or downers or whatever the case may be, or you like to be completely blacked out, right? To just not exist, to not feel, to not have to deal is really, you know, the root of, of, of the addiction and the pain and the trauma are, are there with it. So um, it took me about uh, nine years to really come back home to myself Right. I think the, the process and the healing for many of us in recovery is to heal the relationship with ourselves, is to see our own uh, magnificence, is to uh, move beyond the story of what happened to us and know that we're, we're not different than any earth people. Um, you know, we just have a different coping mechanism. And for me, I was blessed with with all these deep traumas, let's just say, uh, to to bring me to the point where I had a spiritual awakening uh, as a result of, of, of the pain. And I went in and I practiced meditation and it birthed a new consciousness. And uh, as Peter Levine talks about, who's a doctor who came up with somatic experiencing, he says, uh, you know, according to the Buddhist and Tao traditions, there are four doorways into spiritual awakening. Uh, one is meditation, one is death, right? Three, you might say, is tantric sex. Four is trauma. So our trauma and our pain can be a doorway into uh, spiritual awakening, into healing. And I think that's what we really need as far as the recovery community. We need to, um, we need more consciousness. We need to um, be awake. We need to cultivate awareness. Absolutely. And that is something that I've really been diving into in what I would say, you know, I've had many parts of my journey, but, you know, when I discovered my purpose and I started really doing some soul searching, that is when the healing started, right? I discovered what it is I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to help people. Now, you know, going back a little bit in your journey, because, you know, we often make many different shifts 
that first shift for me, I think was realizing, okay, I was done. I was done using other substances to not experience the motions or trauma that I was dealing with. And then of course there was that discovering my purpose, which, which really allowed me to step into my own authentic self. Um, so for you, what was it like for that moment that you decided, okay, I need to turn my life around, first of all, going into early recovery and then really discovering your purpose? Yeah, beautiful. So I got sober when I was 21 years old. Um, I, two years prior to be, to getting sober off everything, I had a, um, I met my match with Oxycontins and we didn't know what they were back then. We just, they, they just really allowed me to check out and to really um, feel some sort of ease in my body. And, and that's, that's, you know, I, I was more primed to like sympathetic arousal. I was always on the go, a lot of anxiety. So, so opiates kind of brought me right down and they, they really did a good job for a while until like all substances, they turned their back, so to speak. And, uh, and I had a real problem with them. And I came to the point where I was about 138 pounds. I was, um, uh, wet as a piece of paper. I had, you know, no nutrients. I was drinking just insurers, which are like, you know, dietary drinks that old people pretty much drink to get the nutrients. And um, I, I had lost my soul, basically. I, I basically, I was very um, discontent. I was not a, a nice um, human being, even to the people I love, uh, very irritable from the opiate addiction. And uh, I had lost myself and I reached out to my mother for help. And at 21 years old, um, or excuse me, this was about 18, 18, 19 years old. Uh, she, I had reached out to my mom and said, Ma, I can't stop doing these pills. She brought me to my primary care doctor. And I, I sat on, 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 on the, the doctor's table there next to a baby scale. And I was just about done with my pediatrician at that point, being 18 years old. And uh, he looked at me and said, all right, you're, you're, you're good. You're, you have an opiate addiction, you know, and you're ready to go. And, you know, and I was like, go where? And he's like, oh, you're ready to go to detox. And I was like, I was like looking around the room, like me, like go to <laughs> detox. And, uh, and at the time, like my ego couldn't allow me to get that type of help. And I know this isn't for everyone. This is just my story. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't go to detox. So long story short is I got some uh, methadone on the street. I never knew what methadone was. I never seen it in my life. My buddy got me a couple of these wafers. He called them. He said, break them up, take those. And I, I played doctor with myself with a couple of the benzos. I weaned myself off of a $500 a day opiate habit. That was, um, that was 18 years ago. I've never touched an opiate since. And it was amazing. I don't think I could ever do it again. But that was the pivotal moment where I knew I needed help. Two years after that, I was still, uh, I was suffering from a depression. I reached out to my mother once again. My mother had been in and out of recovery. Mom, I'm thinking about doing these pills again. I'm having some uh, suicidal thoughts. Uh, I need help. And she brought me to an AA meeting. So I got sober at 21 in Alcoholics Anonymous, which I am, uh, to use the cliche term, forever grateful for them. I do not attend Alcoholics Anonymous today, but I, I'm, I'm grateful for that program, the people in it, and they really helped me. Um, that kind of set me up to a new way of living. I got into, you know, a corporate America. I, I did well. I bought my first home. And then, like I said, about 10 years later into recovery, I had traveled the world. I, I grabbed a backpack, traveled nine countries. Uh, you know, single, I had amazing time. And, and then, you know, the disease turned to disease. I could never slow down. I could never stop running. 
we, you know, in my work, we call that uh, the, the addiction to the intensity cycle. There's a word for that. There's a language to that. There's a way to deal with that. I can explain later if you want. Um, but then I, I really met my match, like I said, about, you know, nine years when my body gave out. And I'll tell you the pivotal moment tomorrow where I realized I was to do something else. Up until then, I was trying to prove my worth to the world. I, I came from a family where, you know, there wasn't a ton of money and I, I needed to prove myself financially. Um, I was trying to own, you know, five multifamilies by the time I was 30 out here in Boston, be some sort of real estate guy amongst other, uh, amongst another career of, 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 of headhunting engineers. And I was doing very well and yet uh, I couldn't keep up with it all. And I got sick and I got so sick that I couldn't even breathe the air in, in normal society because my brain and my amygdala, my, my, my amygdala is the threat detection system in my brain was hyper aroused due to trauma. And I never knew it, but it was. And um, I've always had a sensitive sense of smell and what was happening is I was developing a chemical sensitivity coupled with my autoimmune condition, ulcerative colitis, which is my whole colon was ulcerated with ulcers. And my whole system was inflamed and I couldn't even withstand uh, the smell of perfumes in my office with people, deodorants, colognes. And at that point, I began, to, I was suffering so dearly. I was spending time out in the woods during my break at the company. I would head out into the woods. I would practice meditation. I would be in nature. And I was having these profound shifts in consciousness, meaning I was, I was touching the present moment. For the first time in my life, I realized by slowing down, by meditating, by being in nature, I realized what was happening in my mind and, and, and what actually was happening here were two different things. And I begin, the, the, the awareness began to, to, to be kind of, the consciousness began to split from the, the, mental, the mental proliferation. And I began to witness my own thinking. I began to be the observer of my suffering. I began to not identify with it. And this is the pivotal moment where I knew I was to find something else. I sat on the bench, my mind was so still, so clear that the pine trees in front of me, I was just so present with them. There was another type of tree and the leaves were, were shimmering like, like diamonds. They were just so beautiful and I was there, I was present. And I knew in that moment that I wasn't here to save up for a BMW 745, or oh, that wasn't my main mission. Doesn't mean I might not own one in my lifetime, but it wasn't my main focus anymore to be rich and to prove myself, I was here to help alleviate the suffering of other beings because I was transforming my own suffering in the moment. And then from there, I knew that something else was to be birthed. I left my, my corporate America job and I began on this healing journey. So amazing. And so much of what you said resonated with me. Um, and I truly believe, and I, I, a lot of the people I work with that are trying to discover their purpose, because they have that feeling that they're meant for something more, but of course they're overcome with their beliefs, right? And they just don't believe they can. I mean, our experience that we go through is such a gift 
because now we can allow other people to walk with us on this journey, which I think is amazing. And there was one other thing that as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, I can relate to that. And I do it, you know, with a lot of things in my life after recoveries that addiction to intensity cycle. I mean, I really today force myself to stop what I'm doing from time to time to get in that mindfulness practice because I can go, go, go. So can you explain a little bit before we get into a little bit more what you do today? Yes. So I want to back up just to hear, and, and one of my mentors taught me, he said that uh, your trauma is a prerequisite to your purpose. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Because if you look at all the big names, let's just say Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins, I mean, they had to transform what they went through, right? And our suffering is a gift. And when I met my, one of my first mentors, Dr. Paul Epstein, his work was all about illness as opportunity to awaken consciousness. But I look at it as like substance abuse in your recovery is an opportunity to awaken consciousness, is a way to uh, see yourself in a new light, is a way to do your healing work and then therefore find your purpose and be of service to the world. Because I think when you're in your purpose, I mean, amazing things begin to happen. And in fact, you know, you won't want to use drugs and alcohol anymore when you're really being filled with supporting others and, you know, bringing out your, your medicine. I think we all have a medicine in the world, right? But what happens, the, the trauma, the pain that we experience, I think everyone who suffers from drug addiction has suffered from trauma in one way or another. We all have trauma. We live in a traumatized society right? It's, it's, it's here. It's, it's, and as Peter says, trauma is so common that we don't even really recognize it. And trauma retunes our nervous system. I think the ad addicted population experiences more trauma than most. So trauma doesn't necessarily mean physical abuse, sexual abuse, war trauma, but it can mean attachment trauma. It can mean that your mother maybe, uh, or your father was an alcoholic or, or they hadn't done their work and they're passing generational trauma and, and to you, even as an infant and don't have the capacity to attune to your little nervous system and offer it is offer what it is that you need. Maybe they have their own mental illness. Maybe they have, um, maybe there was a death. Maybe there was a divorce. All of those things can be traumatizing to a little person, a little nervous system. And to talk a little bit about the addiction to intensity cycle is many of us, if you look at, you know, like an, like a rainbow, there's an arc and many of us are, are retuned and primed to constantly be at that apex, right? We, 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 we have a truck, we have trouble with slowing down because maybe slowing down um, is not safe, but we don't know that yet. Maybe we've always been on the go trying to prove ourselves to the world or to stay busy so we don't have to feel what's deep inside our viscera, inside our body. Hence, addiction is all about bringing something in from the outside to soothe what's happening inside of us. So when we begin to become embodied and be with this energy that's in the nervous system in a way where we can allow 
it to, to rise, we can, we can allow it to be here at the apex and we can allow it to, um, uh, we can allow ourselves and our bodies to settle so we can complete the, the arousal cycle, right? Then we have the opportunity to feel the relaxation on the other side uh, of, of the, of the, let's say anxiety or the too much energy, right? There's, if we hang in the tension long enough and we become present with our sensations, the body, right, has its own rhythmic cycle. It knows how to complete the cycle of, of trauma. It knows how to find the relaxation uh, on the other side of the activation. And many of us don't allow ourselves to settle down to touch into what's here so we can actually downregulate this, this nervous system and begin to shift from that constant being at the apex or through the apex, which is, which is flooding of emotional symptoms or too much you know, uh, uh, energy in the system. And we can allow ourselves, our bodies to begin to find this natural rhythm. Now, my training and work is in somatic experiencing. So once again, as trauma, as Peter Levine says about trauma, the story is not even that important. We all have a story. Okay. My story is intense. My father was a pedophile priest. My, my mother was taken away from me at three years old. I have a story. I have, a, I, I have all of the big traumas and, and all that sort of stuff. And that is, is there, but the body is what's holding it. And what do we mean by that? Well, when we're overwhelmed all the time, right? And our body is, is, is geared towards that fight or flight or that dorsal vagal shutdown. We're constantly living in fear, right? As 12 steps say, you know, alcoholics are driven by a hundred forms of fear. That's a trauma response, right? Uh, you always have the feeling of impending doom, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that from 12 step. That's a trauma response, right? And, and what we're dealing with is that activation. And when we can allow ourselves to sense into what's here and allow the body to complete the cycles, we can begin to retune the nervous system to be more balanced, to be more present, for you to develop the capacity to be with you know, sensations, feelings, thoughts in a way that leads to something different. And on the end of that, as we know, Tamara, is really moving beyond the identification with the thoughts of I'm so this, or I'm, I'm not worthy, or I'm not good enough. There's, there's a gap that develops when you have awareness to what's here. And you can be with that in a new way of not following that into, let's say, the, the, the black hole of, of, of nothingness and, and never take a step. We can just say, oh, okay, those thoughts are here. That's okay, but that's not the truth. And I can take a step in this direction to be who I'm supposed to be. Wow, I love that. And that was explained so amazingly. And I think that's, you know, that intensity, I feel like throughout the last couple of years, I've been riding this wave of well outside my comfort zone, right? Leaving my corporate job to pursue what I'm passionate about. And it almost, it feels like a rush, but in order to sustain that feeling, you know, because the uncomfortable has now become comfortable for me, 
I do need to bring it down. I do need to remember that I need my sleep. I need to do my meditation. And so I've got a pretty good routine going now. Now, you know, you talk about um, trauma-informed integrative approach to recovery as being essential. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Yes. Yeah, so once again, we're dealing with the nervous, the brain and nervous system. And when that is not addressed, then I believe the person is always susceptible to going back to their patterns. And, and why I think this is so important is because we know, like I mentioned earlier, from the research that the body is, is holding the trauma. And when we address the brain and nervous system, the mind and body. Now the mind and body are not two different things. The mind and body are, 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 are one, okay? When you think you feel, and when you feel you think, there's a bilateral connection, right? And it's through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is one of the most important nerves you have in your body. It's the 10th cranial nerve, and it goes right into the back of your, your brain and the limbic system, comes back in the back of the neck, down into your body, into every organ system. Now, if you look at the work of Stephen, Dr. Stephen Porges with the polyvagal theory, which so many therapists are adopting this model because it's, it's brilliant, and it teaches us a lot about the, the evolutionary aspect of how our nervous system was developed. Now, Stephen Porges talks about you have 80% of the information going from your viscera, from your body to your brain. Most people think that, well, most people have the, the trouble because they're in their minds all the time, right? They're constantly thinking, constantly ruminating, right? One of the biggest um, problems people come to me with is, is you know, they, they can't, so they, they, they have a terrible relationship with their inner critic or their, their mind won't stop and they're just ruminating and thinking and all that sort of stuff. Well, if we're receiving 80% of the information to our brains from our bodies, then what does that tell us? It tells us we have to begin to regulate the body. Now, once again, when you're taking substances, where are you putting these substances? In your nose, in your veins, in your mouth, to get into this body, to, mm -hmm. to, to, to calm it down, to do whatever you need to do. So what we need to do is, is taking a trauma-informed approach, we have to actually address the, 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 the body. We have to discharge the energy in the body. In the organs, as, as Stephen Porges is talking about, even when we talk about comorbidities, right? That's very common with people in, with substance abuse. Comorbidities are a result of the organ systems holding the trauma, the, the, the feeding the, the brain, you know, the, the messages, right? And when, when you have a colon that's fully ulcerated like me, do you think that my brain is, is always on alert if my, if my body is sending signals of danger, inflammation, right? From my gut to my brain, of course. Well, it's the same thing for you. And when we become traumatized, once again, that trauma is held in the body. So when we begin to come to the body and we begin to develop practices, tools and tips 
and we can do therapeutic interventions like somatic experiencing, we can actually alleviate the body from the traumatic activation. Hence, when you have a calm body, you have a calm mind. And we have to come to this body and begin to integrate affect regulation so the brain can get on board too and begin to get healthy signals of safety, of I'm okay, of it's safe to be in this body. Now, if you're a rape victim, if you were, if you were, um, had physical neglect, I mean, all that stuff happened to this body. And there are certain aspects of the body that become frozen. And even in, in somatic experiencing, we have to navigate in a, in a safe way. Safety is also the medicine. You can't heal with anybody if you don't feel safe. So as a practitioner, I have to provide safety. I have to provide a container and we have to navigate what's here in the body to begin to, to, to pendulate and begin to release this body from the tyranny. Now, most people in recovery, the war is over, meaning what they went through is over, but their body doesn't know it. Their body still holds on to constantly receiving those cues of danger. I'm not safe. He or she's not safe. And they may not be. But once again, when you've been traumatized, even as a youngster, your nervous system is attuned in a way to see this world through a particular lens. And when you begin to do your trauma work, that's when you can begin to see the blue sky. You can begin to see the beauty of what's in front of you, the birds, the flowers. You can, you can actually be here in the moment. Uh, I just, I could talk about this topic for days, probably. Now you have mentioned restoring the nervous system uh, a couple of times. Is there some uh, key ways that somebody could do that? So to start that healing? Yeah, for sure. So let me just tell you a little story. When I first got sober, my, my sponsor at the time, he said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, do you have a difficult time? Um, or, or no, he goes, do, do you find yourself living in the past or the future and have a difficult time being present? And I, I looked at this guy like he was reading my, my mind, right? Like I was always in the past. I was always in the future. The present moment was a foreign concept, right? And if you're on the other end of this and you can identify with that, then that, that can be a trauma response. As someone in recovery, right, if you guys have ever tried to meditate, how challenging is meditation? You might be like, oh my God, so challenging. It, I can't even do it. Well, why is that? Because you're here with yourself. And this isn't, I'm not saying anything that is wrong with you, but what I'm going to say is everything is here. Everything is still in the body. Everything is still in the mind. And when you sit quietly, it begins to show up. So I think meditation is one of the most powerful practices one can do to heal. Now, Bessel van der Kolk, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the author of The Body Keeps the Score, he says that mindfulness is a cornerstone in the healing of trauma. And it is, but not everyone is ready to sit on a cushion. So you ask me, what can they begin to do? If you have the capacity to begin to 
sit on a cushion or a chair and begin to take a mindfulness class. One of them in particular is John Kabat-Zinn. He founded it, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. That is an amazing program. It's like eight weeks. Um, you're, you're training in, in, in the practice of mindfulness. And mindfulness really is all about paying attention in the present moment. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what, why the hell would I want to do that? Well, if you're, if you're in a trauma response, you're, you're constantly fleeing, right? Fight or flight. You might be shut down, depression, that's the dorsal vagal, in a trauma response without the access to your prefrontal cortex to actually be here in the moment with a sense of okayness, safety, right? You have, a, you have a sense of awareness to what's happening within you and around you. So when we cultivate mindfulness, it gives us the ability to be with things as they are in a new way. So, and this is healing because traumatized victims are always haunted by the sensations in their bodies, by the thoughts in their heads. And there's no space. There's just a constant identification, the proliferation of thinking. And then they're off to the races in the never, never ending story, right? I like to call it, what we do is we get stuck in the mind and then we slap a forever sticker on it. Like it's going to be here forever. There, we can't see the impermanent nature that everything is, is moving. So trauma healing, as Peter says, is all about moving from fixity to flow. There's a lot more space for things to happen, a lot more space for your thoughts to come in, right? Just like clouds through the blue sky, your sensations in your body, just to keep moving through and feeling and opening up to them. This is the, this is the magic. So we have to begin to cultivate a practices of self-awareness. So if you can't sit in a cushion, then you can begin to use your five senses to come back to the here and the now. Now, this is going to require you to take your cell phone and put it in your top drawer. You're going to have to disconnect and you're going to have to stop um, being busy. And you're going to have to sit in your backyard with your feet in the dirt if it's warm enough to ground your body and to listen to the birds and to see the blue sky and to begin to slow down and begin to use your hearing, your smelling, you're seeing, right, your, your tactile, your sensation, right, touch, to begin to access the here and the now so you can get out of this, this thinking mind and into the present moment. Now, I use a technology called BrainTap, which is a device by, made by Dr. Porter, which uses sound, light, meditation, self-talk, and frequency to help you regulate your brainwave states. Now there's neurofeedback, which is like a, a training you can do. It's a biofeedback. You'd have to go to a practitioner uh, where you can begin to calm your nervous system that way. It's, it's an amazing training. I did it for two and a half years. But finding some sort of self-awareness, yoga, getting into a yoga practice consistently or qigong or tai chi, really becoming embodied, really working with what's here in the now. And these are all practices that are, have been, you know, yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong have been here for a thousand years. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's proven ancient, um, um, you know, healing modalities. And so is brain tap. Uh, Dr. Porter took all these different 
ancient healing technologies and, and created the device, um, you know, for, for healing. So these are just some things that you can begin to do. Those are incredible. I was taking notes of some of the things that actually I used to do. Um, like Tai Chi was one of the things I really used to enjoy years ago. And I thinking, Hey, yeah, maybe that's something that I can add to my practice. So I'm adding to that all the time. Is there anything that you want to add, you know, for somebody who is in recovery, you know, they know that they're capable of so much more, but they're not sure kind of where to begin their journey. Is there anything you would recommend? Um, yeah, I think I want to say this because it's so important. Um, and I can speak from experience. I was willing to invest in so many other things, like fancy things and shiny things and things I could wear and drive in and all these different things. And I wasn't willing to invest in myself until I had no other option. So there are amazing practitioners, yourself, I'm one of them. There, 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 are, there are a lot of people. And I'm not here to sell myself. I'm just saying, go invest in yourself. Take your resources if you have them. And if you don't have resources, some of the best you know, treatments, being out in your backyard and listening and mindfulness are free. Um, but really, take a moment to commit to your process, commit to your work, commit to, uh, you know, who you want to become. Now for you, myself, we're entrepreneurs in the recovery space. We didn't just get here, right? I, I've spent thousands of dollars on my healing, on my journey, right? So have you, I imagine. And, and we were just talking before this about hiring virtual assistants, you know, hiring podcast people, hiring people to help us with our businesses. I mean, we're, we're not sitting here just this magically happened for me and tomorrow. We've had to work at this. So the first step would be to find someone to do your work with. Find someone to get support. Here's the thing. Trauma happens as a result of lack of support. Who was there to listen to you when you were a little boy or girl when stuff was happening and you had no one to go to, maybe not even your parents? Right? Trauma happens because no one was there to support us or we couldn't talk about what happened. And now as adults, we have to heal that pattern and begin to reach out and ask for help. Now, going back to, I just want to share something with you real quick, going back to neuroscience of things, you know, in 12-step recovery, people say, oh, you know, people in recovery are isolators, right? Well, you have this amazing part of your brain called your prefrontal cortex, Right. And if you've been traumatized, you probably have, uh, uh, let's just say, not that much uh, access to that part of your brain that's responsible for executive function, decision making, reasoning, sense of safety with others. It's a it's a it's a social engagement system. So do you think all those things are important when it comes to, uh, you know, getting and staying off substances? Of course. I mean, there is essential. So that's what I mean by addressing the brain and nervous system is we have to reconnect with the hierarchy of our, of our brains. That's what makes us human beings, not just, um, just uh, let's say, um, let's just not, let's not say just people that are, are there stuck in a trauma response. We have, this, we have this access to this beautiful part of our brain that, that separates us from other primates. And when you're in recovery and people say, oh yeah, people in recovery isolate, well, 
no shit they isolate because they don't have access to their social engagement system. How many people suffer in relationships who, 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 who have been in recovery or experienced trauma? People aren't safe, right? And, and we have to begin to connect to that if we want to begin to heal. So once again, going back to where I was is we have to reach out. We have to let someone in. We have to find someone we feel safe with and, and walk this path with them. And when we do, when we develop those co-regulation skills, my nervous system and your nervous system communicating and talking to each other in a sense of safety. A lot of this happens um, beyond uh, using words or, or verbal. It's, it's, it's uh, facial expressions, it's tone, it's posture, it's all these things. And when we can begin to learn how to co-regulate, then we can begin how to self-regulate. And my work is really, you know, providing that safety for people to co-regulate and learn about their nervous system and then teaching them the skills to begin to self-regulate. But going back, yes, reach out for help, do your deeper work. And this is where, this is where the healing is. Uh, I'm going to have to get you back for a, a part two of this because I could keep going on and on. And I love how you ended that off with investing in yourself because I was the same way, right? In early recovery, I had literally lost everything. And when I started to get my life back together, I was so focused on getting that material stuff back. And that didn't make me happy. I mean, I think I went probably six years where I was incredibly complacent. And I was like, okay, I'm not happy, you know, going to bed on Sunday, knowing I have to wake up and go to my job. You know, I had a great career, but I wasn't being fulfilled. I wasn't doing things that I needed to do to move forward. And that was, I wasn't investing in myself, my education, my healing. And since I have, wow, like I can't, you know, the last year has been so overwhelmingly, I'm just so full of gratitude because if you would have asked me two years ago, would I be here today? Not, you know, self-employed fully doing what I'm passionate about. I would have been like, well, I'd love to be, but right? And those butts are no longer there. It's like, okay, yeah, I might have to put a little bit into this and it's been worth the ride. So Mike, if people want to work with you, how can they get a hold of you? So you can find me at mikeavoni.com, M-I-K-E-G-O-V, V as in Victor, O, and as in Nancy, I.com. My website's going to be redone soon, but you can get a little um, you know, idea of what I do there. You can schedule uh, a, a complimentary discovery call. You can um, listen to my podcast, which is called the Healing Beyond Recovery podcast. Um, I'm actually taking a break for the fall, but there's a, about 27 episodes that are available there on, on all the major platforms. And on Instagram, you can find me at Mike Gavoni as well. Reach out, send me a DM. I'll get back to you personally. I'm, I'm accessible. And uh, yeah, I'd love to support you in any way I can. Awesome. Thank you, Mike, again, for taking the time to be with us today. Well, that was another inspiring episode. And it's what I love about, you know, allowing other people to share their story of overcoming adversity and creating a life that is so good, they never want to go back to their old way of living. And if you want to learn more about Mike, make sure you check out the show notes to find out about what he does and how he can help you. Now, you know, when it comes to mindset, you've heard me talk about it on previous shows. If you are looking to change that fixed mindset, those fixed ideas into a more growth mindset, book a free 30-minute mindset audit call with me. 
you can head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash mindset audit and get on the schedule today and let's help you get some more clarity find out what are some things you can tweak and help you get from where you are today to where it is you want to be and i'll see you guys on the next episode thanks for listening to another episode of the road beyond recovery did you know that our dreams can become a reality when you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you anything is possible it just takes action don't wait until you're ready start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.